This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerist, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. So we are talking, selling, gifting your shop to the next generation. This is part two of a two-part series on this. Last week, we talked about kind of the basics behind it, not actually getting into the valuation of it or structuring it at all, but kind of the do's and don'ts and kind of how you go about this of having that conversation with your parents or having that conversation with the next generation that you want to take over. So whether you're buying, selling from mom and dad or planning to sell to your kids, this week, I want to talk about the structure of this, what to be aware of, and kind of the more specifics on, all right, we've agreed that we're going to do this. How do we actually get this deal done? Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Let's face it. Your shop management system is the most critical tool in your shop. NapaTrax will move your shop into the SMS Fastlane with on-site training, six days a week support, and local representation. Visit them online at NapaTrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S.com. Great news. You now have a hiring partner to help you with the heavy lifting of hiring your next superstar. Introducing Promotive, a full-service staffing solution for your auto repair shop. Visit them online at gopromotive.com. All right, so we got into the basics of this, some of the pitfalls, and really a lot of this was firsthand experience of deals that I've been a part of, deals that I've talked to my clients about that they had struggled with, and just kind of being around the business as long as I have. I've seen fairly successful, easy, straightforward transactions, and I've seen the exact opposite on it. And a lot of people kind of get really nervous for obvious reasons. And they say, oh, I've never done this before. And I say, yeah, you probably, most people never buy a business in their life. And most people never sell a business in their life. Now, those that are self-employed, obviously at some point are going to buy it. And hopefully at some point are going to sell it, but probably only one time in your life. And so this is not going to come naturally to most people. And so it's always good to ask for help, to ask for advice. And the unfortunate thing about the day that we live in is information is everywhere. You guys are kind of fighting against YouTube mechanics, but there's also so much great information out there and great stories, success stories. And a lot of what we do with our clients is kind of like modeling ones that have worked with other people. Hey, it's great that this works in theory, but wouldn't you like a plan that has actually been implemented successfully 10, 20, and honestly, hundreds of time over the 15 years or so I've been doing this. So the general idea, and I kind of outline the overall structure is the first step of making this transition, whether you want to buy from mom and dad, whether you are mom and dad trying to sell it, is coming up with a plan, communicating, making sure that you're on the same page with the other party, getting a timeline in place. And the timeline is very important on this. A lot of what we're going to talk about, somewhat talked about before, because buying or selling a business, if you're going to do it at fair market value to a family member, is going to be fairly similar to buying or selling a business to an outsider. But with both situations, there is a commonality that is time is very important. The reason it's important when it has to do with valuations is if you're going to have a price and you're okay with a three-year plan, get a valuation now, and that price is not going to change no matter how the business does, good or bad, then fine. That's okay. A lot of people do that. It's a really cool thing to do, and this works really well for family members. You could do a three-year plan. You could do a five-year plan. You could even do a 10-year plan on it. 
I think sometimes for family members, I think that communication is even more important because yes, communication is going to be important when you're selling to that key employee, but he's still at the end of the day, an employee, you might treat him like family, but he's not actually family. Now, if you have an actual family member working for you, they're probably not going to play hardball and say, Hey, you know what? I've been waiting here 20 years, 10 years ago, you said you were going to sell me this thing. And here we are. And I feel like a lot of these ones that stretch on much longer than you would ever expect are generally family. But come up with a timeline and expectation so that both parties are on the same page and communicating your intent. Hey, you know what? In 10 years, I plan to give this to you. Don't worry about saving up your money. Well, you should save your money. You're still a parent, so you guys still got to give them the mom and dad pep talk of don't waste your money on junk. But hey, it's going to be yours. This is part of my plan to be able to put money away to retirement so I can just pass this on to you and gift you my entire business, which we will talk about a little bit later. Most of these deals, however, are going to be sold. It would be nice to be able to give it to another generation and say, hey, you don't need to give me a cent. Sometimes I think maybe it's from the principle of it of, hey, you know what? Mom and dad put their blood, sweat, and tears into this, sacrificed so much to get this where it is. It maybe doesn't feel right to go ahead and just give it away. You need to give me something for what I've worked maybe your entire life to create there. So the next step on this is going to be once you have that timeline figured out and you say, okay, now is a good time for evaluation, or you say, no, we're not going to do evaluation. Now we're going to do it in three years. And so sometimes number one has a very long gap between number two, but the next step is always, we want to sell something. How much is it worth? One of the key ideas here that I talked about last week is Yes, this is business, but this is family. And valuating something is always opinion, whether it's a client valuating it, whether it's a buyer or seller valuating it, whether it's me or another accredited business valuator, you're all going to come up with different values. And it really doesn't mean that any of those are wrong. They're all coming from different places using different assumptions. And this is where it gets a bit tricky. Again, if this is an outside party, list it high. If you think it's worth a million to 1.3, Listen for 1.4, you can always negotiate down. With family, you got to be a lot more careful because there's some tricky situations there. Is your son really going to come up and say, you know what, it's not an outrageously expensive price, but I think it kind of is, or is he just going to suck it up and buy it? Or in a lot of situations, the next generation very rarely ever even gets an outside opinion on this. Now, if it's one of my clients, and again, if I'm asked to be involved in, I will share my opinion. I'm not going to give unnecessary opinions if it's not asked for. They don't want to hear it. I don't know what goes on. I don't know if little Johnny owes you 300 grand because he dropped out of medical school a month before he's supposed to be a doctor. So I don't try to get into the middle of this, but I've seen some after the fact. New client comes on. Maybe he's been in business two years after buying from mom and dad. And I pick up and I say, whoa, what is this loan for? Oh, that's the loan to mom and dad from buying the business. Now I know how much he paid for it. Now, am I going to say, oh my God, mom and dad really screwed you over there? Of course not. If he's upset about it, that's fine. There's no reason for me to kind of ruin Thanksgiving by putting that idea in his head. The basic premise of how auto repair shops are bought and sold is a multiple of the average net income. So strip this business down. If there's officers on payroll there, make them sure that they're paying a fair market value wage, whether that's higher or lower than what they're actually taking out. If you own the building, you pay in fair market value rent, add back personal expenses and stuff like that. So let's say you add it all back and you strip it down. Essentially, what you're looking for is a three-year average of, okay, how much did mom and dad take out of this business over the last three years? 
If the average of that is $100,000, most shops are sold for right around a three times multiple right now. So if you're getting about $100,000 a year, that means that the business is going to be worth $300,000. I've covered this in detail a number of episodes. The idea of the valuation, whether it's a family member, non-family member, are going to be about 99% the same. The one unique difference between selling to an outside Percy and family member, and we're not talking about discounts. A lot of times there's sweat equity in there. Hey, business is worth a million bucks. You've been here 10 years. A lot of this is your success. Give me 600,000 and it's yours. I'm actually talking about the real valuation itself. So when we're doing a valuation, there is certain things and specifically like fringe benefits that sometimes are added back in there. Let's say that I spoil my employees. I pay for full family health coverage. I pay for daycare. I pay for first four years of college, retirement, you name it. I'm in Maryland. None of that is obviously legally required for me to pay my employees on that. So if I'm going to sell my business, I'm going to add back all of those fringe benefits that I currently pay for my employees. You're buying my business. You don't need to keep up my same process and procedures. That's your decision. Essentially, what the argument is there is I'm electing to use some of my profits to give these benefits to my employees. However, when you come in here, you have a fresh slate. You can do whatever you want. Now, when we're selling to an outside party, we're obviously trying to argue a higher amount. Now, realistically, if someone comes in there and I have a really good benefits package and they go to absolutely nothing, what is that going to do for morale? Yeah, it's probably not going to be too great, but this is negotiating. This is a sales. Now, for a family member, I would not do any of that stuff. And a lot of the kind of, we'll call them discretionary. Hey, you don't truly need to do that, but you decide to anyways. I probably won't add that back if I'm doing this for a family member. Again, if I'm selling to an outside party and I give the guys pizza every single Friday, maybe it costs me five grand a year. I'm not going to add that back if I'm doing this, knowing that they're selling to a family member. Again, second generation comes in there. First course of action is cutting health insurance. Second course of action is cutting pizza parties. Yeah, the third course of action is probably going to be calling mom and dad to see if he can ask the team to come back when they leave disgruntled. Core idea is value the business, whether you want to do a valuation or you guys have already negotiated a number in your head. Napatrax was built from the ground up to make your business more profitable and efficient. They provide an extensive set of tools to increase and track profitability in real time. Napatrax offers the industry's best wholesale support hands down. They train your people on site. Yes, on site. They also offer remote refresher training 10 times a week and customer support is open six days a week. Give them a call, visit them, or join our Facebook community today to learn more. They'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Napatrax is always customized and tailored for your business, whether you're a one-man shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Is your recruitment process draining your valuable time and resources? What if there was a partner who could take your recruitment efforts off your plate? Look no further. Promotive is your ultimate solution for hassle-free staffing focused solely on the motive industry. On the web at gopromotive.com. Promotive understands the challenges you face when searching for the perfect technician or service advisor for your shop. That's why we've developed a platform that takes the hassle out of recruiting. Michelle Tanzi from Euroclinic said, I am a shop owner and recruiting new talent is so time-consuming. 
Promotive does the majority of the seeking and recruiting. They reach out to the candidates for you, and when they feel they are a good match for you and culture, they make the connection. They follow up throughout the interview process, and we make sure that the candidates are a good fit, and the shop is a good fit for the candidates. I admire that they genuinely want both parties to win. They recruited and paired us with a solid B-Tech and Master Tech. Both left a dealership position and are still part of our team. We are very happy with the character and culture match, and both technicians have become valuable team members. Visit our website at gopromotive.com today and join the growing community of shop owners who have found their ideal team members with Promotive. I've talked about this. I've warned about this. If you come and you say, hey, Hunt, business is worth whatever, I'm going to sell it to my son for $300,000. Again, I'm careful on what I get asked. I don't like to give unwanted opinions on stuff. But if it's low, if I say, oh, 300000 I think the business is worth maybe double that, I'd be like, wow, seems like a pretty good price for your son. And if he comes back and says, yeah, no, well, I appreciate all he's done, then I know kind of we're on the same page there. Now, if he comes back and says, oh my God, I think that he's going to want even less than that, then I might give him a little bit of a, you know what, that's a pretty good price. We're not doing a full valuation there, but you're giving him a very fair deal there. Now, what if the roles are reversed? Comes out and says, all right, want to sell it to my kid. He's going to sell it for $1.3 million. And we know that the business never makes a profit. Time out, dad. You can do what you want. As long as you know that number is outrageous, hey, that's between you guys. You can figure it out. But there is probably half the situations I get approached for evaluation where it is a family member and they've already come up with agreed upon price. And on the surface, it seems pretty fair. Both parties are happy with it. And if that's the case for your situation, if you have a number, let's say that you're a mother and you got two kids and you want to pass down your shop to the two kids, you need 400000 to do whatever you want. You know that less than the true fair market value of the business. Go for it. There's no reason that you need to get a valuation involved if you are certain or fairly sure that number is already at fair market value or slightly below. Valuations are something that I've obviously spent hundreds and maybe at this point, thousands of hours researching, doing training. It also is a rocket science. You can do the math on this, return on investment. Hey, are they going to be able to pay us back, the bank back, and still put some money in their pocket? So make sure it's fair for all parties. I always talk about any deal that I'm doing that I'm working with my clients on, whether it's an outside party, key employee, family member. At the end of the day, I want the deal to be fair for both people. Now, it can still be fair whether it's leaning towards our direction, no one's trying to do anything super underhanded here. No one's trying to do anything shady, let alone nefarious to a family member. So now that you've come up on price, perfect. Mom and dad finally decide to sell the shop to me. What do we do from here? I guess we need to actually back up a little bit and say, all right, what are we buying? Because there's two really main choices here. Are you going to buy the stock of the business? So are you going to buy Hunt Auto Repair Inc., the actual corporation, or are you going to be buying the assets of Hunt's Auto Repair, Inc.? Now, 99% of deals are asset sales. So if you are selling to the next generation or you are buying from your parents, you would like to do an asset sale. There's two major reasons of why we would like to do an asset sale. One of these is not as much of a concern with family members or shouldn't be, but that's contingent liabilities. If you buy the stock of a business... That means that if the next day you get a sales tax audit, even if it's from three years ago, this is now your problem. You are now the owner of record of that business. Anything good or bad that comes out of it is now your problem. Now, for an outside person, that's extremely nerve-wracking. 
For mom and dad, hopefully they're a bit more of an open book on that, but the next one is even bigger and it's the tax considerations. So let's say that I sell to my daughter and I say, all right, you're going to give me a million dollars for my business and you're going to buy the stock of my business. I'm going to pay tax on that. Capital gains going to be taxed very favorably. The downside of buying stock is not a deduction. If you went out there and you bought $100,000 worth of Apple stock, you're not writing that off on your taxes. Instead, what happens with stock is that million dollars that my daughter bought the business from me for, it's kind of just in limbo. And one day when she finally sells the business, she will be able to lower the purchase price or lower the gain by whatever she bought that business from me. Now, if you're selling to the next generation, you probably don't expect them or wish them to sell this business anytime soon. So yeah, you still get the deduction for it, but maybe that's decades down the road. Asset sale, and we'll talk about how asset sales work in a little bit, but pretty much the general idea is we should be going to asset sale. There is probably only two times that are common situations where a stock sale could make sense. The first one is minority ownership. Ownership means, hey, I want to sell little Johnny 10%, then 20%, then 30%. We've all seen this kind of game done before. If you are doing that, the only way to do it is stock sales and be a fractional stock sale because you can't sell fractional pieces of assets. Now, unless this is going to be a long-term thing where it's like, hey, I still have 20 years left. I want my son to own 20% of it. I really would recommend not even doing a minority stock sale. If you want to give him 10% now and then in three years he buys the remainder of it, then just pay him like he's 10% owner and in three years do an asset sale. It's going to work out slightly worse for you, but pretty much identical. And for your kid, it's going to be much, much better for taxes. The other situation where buying the stock or not even buying the situation is a gifting situation. So if you're gifting where no money is actually changing hands, a stock sale is much easier and cleaner because you can use the same bank accounts, federal ID numbers, payroll, withholding, vendor accounts, you name it. Other than those two situations, we should be doing an asset sale. The reason why an asset sale is so much more beneficial is essentially the deal gets broken down into three, maybe two major parts. The first one is inventory. If you have $20,000 of inventory, buy a business for a million bucks, 20,000 of that's going to go towards inventory. Now, the next bucket is equipment. Not how much did mom and dad buy that equipment for? What is that equipment worth today? Now, if you're the buyer, you obviously want to go with fair market value, but you want to be on the higher side. The reason is equipment we can depreciate all in the first year if we want to, but a maximum over seven years. So one way or another, after seven years, we will get the full deduction for the equipment portion. So let's say I bought the equipment for 20000 or I bought the inventory for 20000 I bought the equipment for 280000 Overall deal was a million bucks. That means that 700000 is left over, and that goes to something called Goodwill, Blue Sky. It's called a lot of different things, but essentially, it just means what are you willing to pay over and above the liquidation cost of the equipment and inventory? This is the reputation. This is the customers. This is your assembled workforce. This is all that you've built. This is your brand. It's essentially saying, all right, if the equipment has no value other than the equipment itself, there is no goodwill. If you go to a yard sale, there's no goodwill for that circular saw. You're buying that circular saw. However, if that circular saw is in the hand of 10 guys that are going out framing a house, have a construction business. And there's obviously going to be goodwill of the team, the scheduling, 
the process and procedures, the technology behind it, and everything else in between. I'm going to be perfectly honest here, just like an outside party, equipment and goodwill are both going to have a little bit different interest for the buyer and the seller. So as a buyer, I want more and more to be on equipment because I depreciate all in the first year over seven years, whereas goodwill I have to depreciate over 15, actually amortizing it, but essentially it's the same as depreciation. Now, if I'm selling the business, I want the exact opposite. I want more of it to be on goodwill versus equipment because goodwill is all going to be capital gains. Equipment's going to be mostly capital gains, but there is going to be some ordinary income in there, which is going to be taxed at a slightly higher rate. What you should do in that situation is the two generations walk through the shop, write down the equipment, negotiate what you think that the pieces are worth, get it done once and be done with it. Hey, how much you think the alignment rack is worth? Mom says probably 30. Son says probably 20. Meet in the middle, 25. Move on. Next piece of equipment. Once you get down to the silly stuff, jack stands, jacks, small hand tools, office furniture, stuff like that, stop counting. Loop it all together. Hey, miscellaneous odds and then another five grand. Come up to something that is fair and realistically used auto repair equipment generally just doesn't have that great of resale value. So majority of these deals are going to be goodwill anyways. So now that we have this broken out, we got a timeline together. We've come up with the value of the business. We figured out how we're going to allocate this in the purchase price. What is next? So next generation, we are buying the assets of the business, meaning we are not buying mom and dad's actual corporation, which means that we need to go set up our own entity. And we're not going to get into the entity choice and structure that much this week, but more or less, you probably should be going up to set up some sort of LLC. So I'm going to open up second generation auto repair LLC. That second generation auto repair LLC is going to buy the assets, inventory, equipment, and goodwill from mom and dad's business. Now all that stuff over into my new one. Now there are some things that you can be doing beforehand. So if you're going to be set up this LLC, there's no reason to set up the LLC years early. A month or two is fine. It can be done virtually instantly. You have to register the LLC before the bank will give you bank accounts in their name, before you can probably get insurance in the name and stuff like that. But you can kind of start going down through and seeing all the vendors that mom and dad are dealing with and essentially start contacting them and reaching out and seeing what you need to give them to kind of transfer over. Hey, finally, I know old man's going to do it. He's going to sell it to me. Hey, what do you guys need from me to kind of transfer this over? Most of them, all they want you to do is fill out a new piece of paperwork that shows what your federal ID number is, legal name, and stuff like that. If you have the existing relationship, generally all they need to do is update you for kind of your credit terms or the vendors that you have credit with. If you don't have credit with a vendor, they probably could care less on it because you're probably going to still call yourself the name. Remember, you can call your business or DBA doing business as a different name than their corporation. I get asked this all the time. Hey, if mom and dad already have that name registered, how can I use it? Now, if they've officially registered it, they can release it so that you can register it yourself. But if they've never officially registered it, then you're allowed to just go and use that name. Biggest thing is registration protects it. And every state's a little bit different, but if you're afraid someone might show up down the street and name their business exactly the same, hey, make sure you get all that stuff set up. So we've got the purchase price allocated. We have got the new entity set up. Now, what do we do next? We are going to execute the deal. And if the kids are strapped with cash, then it's as simple as a briefcase of money and we move on. Realistically, you got two choices here, though. Choice one is have the kids go out and get a loan. 
As long as you gave them a fair deal on this, as long as they have decent credit, they don't have a ton of debt, a bank's probably going to do this deal. Not the big boys. They don't care. You're just a number. Most of these smaller regional banks love to see this generation. They'd love to be able to help local community businesses like this and continue on that relationship. Another option is mom and dad holding the note here. Hear me out. You might say, hey, I want to be completely done with this. And I get that. There is something to be said here, and maybe even more so because it's family, of just making that clean cut. Hey, you know what? I'm selling this to you. It's going to be your business. Give me my money. Go get that from a bank. I'm going to go off. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm going to let you do your thing. I've had this conversation a couple of months ago with one of my clients where they were really attracted to the idea of doing the owner financing, holding this note for their kid that's buying their business. We're deferring the taxes over multiple years. We're also collecting interest on those payments on it. It really can work out pretty well. The downside is obviously the risk. If second generation goes in there and stops paying you after six months, your collateral is going back in and starting that shop or running it again. Now, if you're 100% done, never want to go back in there, probably think twice about this. Is it going to get weird? Is it going to get awkward? You still have to be kind of interested in what that business is doing. If you are the bank, hey, I need to know that sales are trending in the right direction. I don't need to get into nitty gritty details. I'm not doing a full audit here, but keeping an eye on my investment. Is your son and daughter going to think like that's you micromanaging them and looking over their shoulder? I don't know. A lot of people say, hey, even though we can leverage this a little bit for taxes and some interest on this one, sometimes it's easier to just say, go get an SBA loan, just like I did. Hey, if nothing else, it could be a good learning experience because it's probably their first time ever getting a commercial loan. So last one on here I want to talk about is gifting. Kudos to all of the parents out there that have planned well enough that they don't need to sell their business and they're just gifting it to the kids. I think it's a really cool idea to be able to do this. And also a lot of the situations that I see where they're gifting this is the kid had practically earned it. A couple of these situations, dad hadn't even been there for like 10 years. And the kid had been running the show the entire time. Talking to my client, he's like, how could I make him pay me for that? Essentially, I leached off of him for 10 years. The least I can do is give him the business. We don't see these very much, though. The idea behind it is fairly simple. I am going to gift this to my kid. The idea behind a gift is there is no tax associated. So roughly, if you gift less than $11 million in your lifetime, you do not have to pay any tax. Not you as the gift giver, not them as the gift receiver. The only downside to this is the cost associated with doing this correctly. Now, if you want to go to a lawyer and you want to go and have them change the stock certificate from Stephen Jr. on that, now Stephen Jr. is 100% owner of the business. You let us know that you sold your or didn't sell it. Hey, he's now 100% owner. No questions asked. Fine. What if you have an estranged son or daughter? What if you have a stepkid? What if you have a ex-wife down the road that wants to come back and challenge this? Hey, you didn't actually gift that because there was no gift tax return. A lot of times when I see the gift tax returns are when it's higher dollar stuff. I'm not going to tell my client to do a gift tax return for 40 grand. Even though legally you're supposed to very seldom see a gift tax return less than a couple hundred thousand on there making sure that you have all of your ducks in a row, like I said, if anyone was to come and question this. And I talk to my clients about this and I say, hey, is there any concern of this going on? Because I like to give options. I don't like to spend someone's money if there's ways around it. And a lot of my clients say, you know what, Hunt, if this is what's going to cost one time to do it right, let's just do it. 
Now, the cost does not really come into gift tax return. The gift tax return is a fairly straightforward return as far as taxes go, similar to an S-corporation, maybe even a little bit easier. The downside to doing a gift tax return is I have to do a valuation if I do a gift tax return. So the IRS says if you gift stock of closely held stock, which means not publicly traded stock, a valuation has to be attached to the gift tax return. Now, most of the valuations that I do are called calculation of value because we've been talking about shops are bought and sold one metric and one metric alone, which is a multiple of net income. However, when I do a valuation, I have to take into account multiple different methods. Whether I agree with it or not, whether it's common practice or not, that is how you have to do a valuation. Calculation of value is a very clean, concise two-page summary report. A full valuation I do for a gift tax return usually works out to be about 50 pages. It just takes a ton of time. The unfortunate thing, and I'm point blank with my clients, I say it does not give us any more information, probably less, and it doesn't make it any more accurate, probably less again. But we have to do this. We have to do this right. It's a one-time, do it once, be done with it, never have to worry about it again. Second generation never has to worry about it again. So really on this one, it's pretty simple is you would go and meet with a lawyer. The lawyer would draw up the paperwork of officially transferring the stock over. You'd reach out to me if I'm your accountant. And we can talk to you about evaluating the business and the timing of when you do the gift tax return. But this process is very straightforward other than a little bit of, well, I shouldn't say a little bit. It's a decent bit of money up front to do this all correct and official, but that's it. No taxes on it, no money changing hands. Keep the same federal ID number, really easy and life goes on. That should kind of give you a general idea to actually start the process of this, or maybe you've already started the process with this and you're trying to wrap it all up. One thing that I wanted to put out here that I wanted to make sure that you tried to avoid at all costs. I've seen this before and it kind of goes hand in hand with the gifting because sometimes people say, well, hey, you know what? I'm just going to give my daughter my business, but I'm going to stay on payroll for the next 10 years at a hundred grand. And I say, this is silly. Do not do that for any reason. The reason why you would never want to do this is you're going to get a million dollars over the next 10 years, but you're going to be paying payroll tax every single year on that money. So is your daughter because she's going to pay the employer person of that payroll tax. Not only that, it's all going to be taxed in ordinary income. So this is a disservice to your daughter. She's paying more than she needs to on it, getting a deduction, but paying payroll tax. You're paying more tax than you need to and more payroll tax than you need to. Instead of paying your on W-2 for the next 10 years, sell the stock for a million bucks. Sell the assets of this for a million bucks. You can still break it out and receive your money over 10 years, but you're probably going to be taxed at capital gains and daughter's going to get the full deduction in less than 10 years and no sort of payroll tax or anything like that. Same idea of some people do the same idea. Instead of doing it actually on payroll, they're issuing a 1099 and doing some sort of consulting arrangement. Again, same exact pitfalls of payroll tax or a self-employment tax here. Just do an asset sale, do a structured payout, hold a note on it, collect some interest, save both of you guys some money and a good bit of taxes as well too. So while the core idea remains the same, selling to an outside party or selling to a family member, there are always a bit more details to be concerned when you are dealing with family. This isn't someone that you're going to hand the keys to and move on. You're in this for the long haul. And hopefully the last thing that you want is a business wrecking a family tie. So keep it simple, keep it fair, and hopefully that will keep it all together. 
Please share this with friends. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. So thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening apps. Thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.